Hey everyone, welcome back to the Infatuation Podcast. Great, great show for you today. We are speaking with Abigail Wen. She's the author of the Love Boat Taipei series. Book three of the series just came out last month. It's called Love Boat Forever, and it's a really, really fun read uh, for you or a young reader in your life. It's based on Abigail as well as other people's stories from the Taipei study tour, which many people went on in the 80s and 90s. Uh, you might know it better as the Love Boat Tour, which uh, is kind of a misnomer because there actually is no boat, but it's really in a in a dorm or a hotel where about a thousand kids from across America and Canada, these are uh, Asian Americans, mostly Chinese Americans, uh, got to go and study Mandarin and other things, but in reality, it was like a six-week party. <laughs> Can you imagine like a thousand kids, uh, 18 to 22 or somewhere around there, uh, just going out every night, hitting Taipei, going to clubs, drinking in bars, doing karaoke, hitting the night markets, those sorts of things for six weeks. And it was basically paid for by the Taiwan government. Yeah. So, you know, it was popular. So when I was thinking about put, doing this episode, I sent something out on my social media like, hey, anybody ever do the Love Boat Tour? And I didn't know I knew so many people who went on this tour. There were at least at least a dozen, probably closer to 20 people who replied saying, I went on the tour in 1996 or I went on the tour in 99. Like there are so many people in there, I guess they'd be like 40s and 50s now who went on this tour. And so it was really fun reminiscing with Abigail and my friends Emily and Cliff who also went on the tour. So this episode will mostly be us chatting with Abigail about her journey from Ivy League schools to coming out to the West Coast to work in tech to eventually becoming an author and a producer. But Cliff and Emily had so many stories that they had about Love Boat. We ended up staying on the call for another 30, 40 minutes after Abigail left the call. So I think I'm going to roll all those stories into a side dish episode which I'll drop later this week. So if you know anyone who went on the Love Boat study tour and they might be interested in hearing stories about that, let them know that later this week we'll have a Love Boat side dish. But for now, enjoy this episode with Abigail as we talk about her series of books, starting with Love Boat Taipei, going to Love Boat Reunion, and ending just recently with Love Boat Forever. And you can watch the film Love in Taipei, which is based on Abigail's first book. You can watch that on Paramount Plus or a whole bunch of other places. Well, let's get into the actual episode with Abigail Wen. And as usual, thank you for listening. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to the Infatuation Podcast. Happy December to you all. This is coming to you, I think, the first week of December, so we hope that so far the month is treating you great. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a brand new book. It's part three of a trilogy that started with Love Boat Taiwan in 2020, followed by Love Boat Reunion in 2022, and now Hot off the presses is Abigail Wen's latest book. It's called Love Boat Forever, and it's available right now where you get your books. And you can also, if you don't like books, if you're not into reading, you can go online and watch the movie version of the first book. It's called Love in Taipei. It's streaming on Paramount and now a whole bunch of other places. We'll talk about that soon. It is my pleasure to welcome the author of the series and executive producer of the film, Abigail Wen. Welcome to the podcast, Abigail. Thank you so much for having me, Curtis. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, we also have a couple other guests. And I was just telling Abigail this, that when I mentioned that we were going to be talking about Love Boat Taiwan, these two, po these two folks were very excited to come on. And they basically... <laughs> begged me to come on the show with you. So we have two Love Boat alums also. Uh, you might remember Emily. Emily came on our show where we talked about New York City. And it is Emily. Welcome, Emily. Welcome back. Thank you, Curtis. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, your excitement fueled me, though, to be honest, Emily. You were the one who really got me going on this episode. Great. I love the energy. 
Yeah, so we'll talk a lot more about Lobo in a second. And then coming along is another Lobo Taiwan alum. He's also a high school friend of mine. We uh, <laughs> we went to the same high school. I am a, I am his senior, however. He was a freshman when I was a senior. But uh, it is Cliff. Hey, Cliff, how's it going? Curtis, I always looked up to you. I, I wanted to be like Curtis when I grew up. And now uh, <laughs> I still want to be like Curtis. Well, you didn't look up to me physically. You were always taller than me. But <laughs> thanks for coming on the show, Cliff. And uh, Abigail, where are you calling in from today? So I'm in the Bay Area, just like the rest of us, I think. Hey, we're almost neighbors. <laughs> yes. Now, are you down the peninsula? I am down the peninsula, and I'm actually going to be up in your neck of the woods on December 10th. I'll be at the ferry building at Book Passage um, for a book signing. So yeah. hopefully, bye. Yeah, yeah, we should come by. Emily, you want to come by? Cliff, we're going to go by? Perhaps, I'll be there, yes. For sure. Yeah, that'd be great yeah. to see you. Get Bring to the kids. Yeah. Bring the kids. <laughs> All right. And we like to, and this is kind of a risky question because it's about 5.30 in the afternoon. So I'm not sure what your answer is going to be, but we like to ask our guests in the Asian way, have you eaten yet? So uh, Abigail, uh, Cherlema. I ate a persimmon just before I got on the call. My, my <laughs> mother-in-law has a whole bunch of persimmons in her yard and I benefit every year. It's definitely persimmon <laughs> season. You got to wait. I, I just found out. I, I've never liked them because I like crunchy fruit. And if you eat them crunchy, your mouth feels like you're eating cotton balls. <laughs> oh, you know, you might be allergic, actually. Or, like, there's there's a version that does that to you. But if you eat like just the regular apple ones, then you should be fine. Oh, uh, okay. As my friend said, I got to wait till they get ripe, but they don't look, I don't like them when they're mushy. But I don't know. Maybe I just don't like them. <laughs> um, how about you, Cliff and Emily? You just get home from work, so no eating yet? Ah, uh, sick jolla. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know what dialect. Don't ask me what dialect that is. Uh, I'm all confused. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Abigail, do you speak uh, Fujianwa? Uh, a little bit. My my mother spoke it growing up, so I actually didn't realize it wasn't Taiwanese because my college roommate was Taiwanese, and she invited me to all the Taiwanese events on campus, and it was the same language that my mom spoke with her sister. So, um, yeah. who knew? Fujianwa. Yeah, yeah. I, I lived with two Taiwanese guys, and so the only word I know is jabang. <laughs> oh, and I, I could say, which I think means I don't speak Fujian. <laughs> okay, that, that's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty you could have fooled me. <laughs> yeah. So that's funny, though. When you So if you ever watch Taiwanese TV and they have a Taiwan dialect, you understand a little bit? A little bit, yeah. Okay. It's, it's very familiar to me. It feels like home. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So actually, we already started the next question, which was digging into your roots. Now, I don't even know how to describe your roots. Are you like, do you consider yourself like third, fourth or fifth culture? Because you have so many cultures in your background. You know, I do. And I didn't realize how unusual it was until I actually started talking um, with the books publishing. But my mom is from the Philippines. My dad's from Indonesia. But my grandparents are from China. So my mom's from, you know, my mom's from Fujian province. My dad's family is from Shandong. So we have been immigrants out of China for, you know, three generations now. Oh, um, yeah. But I am the first American born. So I'm second generation. And then my kids are third, but they're like four generations removed from China. Yeah. It does it does make for something a little different. I think I basically grew up in a very multicultural family as a result. Yeah. And uh, I read uh, mostly grew up yeah. in Ohio. That's right. All right. So now I'm, I swear I'm not a stalker, but I did a little research. So <laughs> Solon, Ohio. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You want to guess how many Chinese restaurants there are currently in Solon, Ohio? Oh, currently? Currently yeah. is a hard question. I know growing up, I think there were zero. Uh-huh. One. There was one in the town over. Yeah, no, we're not, we're not talking about Aurora. We're not talking about Chagrin <laughs> Falls. We're talking about Solon, Ohio. It yeah. is, the answer is two. Two, okay. Two. I think there be... was a Hunan Gourmet that uh -huh. was in our shopping I don't know if it's still there. Yeah, you uh, you have your choice of, let me look it up here, Hunan Solon or Imperial Walk. Those are your two choices. Oh, I think I remember Imperial Walk. Three and a half stars. That's kind of the coveted, uh, for a Chinese restaurant, that's kind of what you want. You want the three and a half stars. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are Chinese restaurants everywhere and there's policy reasons for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, so after Ohio, you know, I've got to admit, Abigail, I think you have a little Rick Wu in you. Because after <laughs> Ohio, you end up going to a little college called Harvard College over in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, were you the kid in high school that we all hated? The, the one kid who got all the, all the accolades, all the awards, all the scholarships. Were you that kid? Well, I like to think I wasn't the kid everyone hated. 
But uh, I, there is a bit of a coup in me, the, um, you know, the sense, like, so I, I was profiled by the World Journal, like Rick Liu. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't play football, but I was on the dance squad. Um, and then, yes, I did go to Harvard. But I think that the point of the Rick Liu character is like, it might seem like everything is perfect on the surface, but like deep down, once you dig deeper, he's got issues like everyone else. Like he struggles and his family and his, his girlfriend, he's struggling with depression, right? So there's just a lot going on that you may not always see on the surface. Yeah, yeah. no, I like that about your characters. There's a lot of depth to them. And and when I say hate Rick Wu characters, we secretly respect them a lot and we want to be them, but <laughs> <laughs> we say we hate them, but in reality, we want to be their friends and we want to know them. Uh, so after Harvard, go to law school in New York City, Emily. Yay, New York. <laughs> so you're in New York and you kicked around the East Coast for a little bit, but what brought you to California? My husband, actually, who okay. also went on love boat. He was a couple summers before me. Um, but he worked in tech. And when we were in D.C., I was a lawyer and that was my town because law is the product of Washington, D.C. <laughs> he was like the weird techie. He was geeking out over whatever new technologies there were. And um, he he wanted to come to California. So his mom was here and my brother married a girl from Cupertino. And so he moved out here and that kind of tipped the scales for me. So mm. I came out and then we reversed like the, the industry in this town is tech and law is like, <laughs> I, you know, the side product. Yeah, yeah. And then w once you experience, you know, South Bay weather, you're, there's no going back to New York. Right? It's true. I walk around Palo Alto. I'm like, wow, I've moved to paradise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Emily can agree to that. She grew up in Brooklyn, but now mm -hmm. is in San Francisco. So, you know, you know, the winters here, you know, I was going to say it's freezing cold here, but it's like 60. It's like 62, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Californians um, that went to college with me, they, I always thought they were the wimpiest when it came to weather. It was like a little bit cloudy, a little bit rainy or uh -huh. snowy. Just they would curl up and die. No, absolutely. <laughs> we are the wimpiest in terms of weather. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're doing you're doing a lot of stuff in Silicon Valley. Actually, you're 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 uh, you're an AI expert as well. We can do a whole episode on on your past life, Abigail. But we're here to talk about your books. And so when did you start writing? I have actually been telling stories my whole life without knowing that I was a writer or a storyteller. Um, I have been keeping a journal since I was nine, um, but I didn't really seriously start writing or at least think that I was seriously starting to write until um, the summer after um, my second year of practicing law. I was thinking about being a law professor and it's a story I've shared elsewhere, um, but I couldn't bring myself to write that legal article to go on the market. And so I wrote a novel instead. And that kind of what set me on this journey. It was like, wow, this novel just came pouring out of me and I realized, okay, there is something here. Hmm. Um, but that was, it was a 10 year journey from there to publishing Love Boat Taipei, which was my fifth novel. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I'm looking here, you have quite a, other, quite a lot of other books and manuscripts that you wrote, but not published until Love Boat. Was that just the one that, that resonated most with your publishers as well as just yourself? Is that the one that kind of wrote itself in a way? So, um, yes and no. Um, I do think it's the one that was closest to home for me. Um, I was the first time I wrote an Asian American main character. Mm. And there's reasons why for many years, I, I didn't think I was allowed to do that. And um, so I was a better writer by the time I wrote this fifth book. But my I had two previous novels that actually came close at a major publishing house. And I had editors read them overnight. Um, I had agents and they couldn't get the marketing. Marketing said, we don't know how to market this. And that was in a world before Crazy Rich Asians and Hamilton uh, yeah. opened the world for diverse stories can have general audiences. And so it was hard. It was hard for many years to break in as a minority writer. Um, but um, by the time I wrote Love Boat, it was both like, it was kind of like a confluence of different things. One, it was a, it was a, a strong book that came out of a really interesting, unique experience. It was very close to home for me. Um, and the zeitgeist had changed. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Like, we're not talking about 1950. We're talking about 2017, 2018, you know? Absolutely. Not yeah. like 100 years ago, but the thought that, that what you just said is like, you couldn't have even thought about getting it published, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but it just changed. I don't want to say overnight because it was a long struggle. As but, early as, as late as 2018, one of my friends has a, a movie deal that says they can change your Asian American girl to a white character for marketing reasons. Yeah. That's 2018. That was not that long ago. Yeah. Kevin Kwan had the same idea. Yeah, with Crazy Rich Asians, they wanted to make the He had the fight. Mm -hmm. He had the fight for that. 
it, it's changed very recently and we're, we're actually not there yet entirely. Yeah. We're not hundred percent there, but we've come a long way. Yeah. No, it's good to see. I mean, even even with the start of this podcast, you know, two years ago, there's been so many more people available, like authors, like people coming out with books, actors, you know, musicians, like just so many more, even the last two years. It's pretty incredible. All right. So, hey, you know, what? I think you have, I mean, this is a little bit obvious, but I think you have a little Ever Wong in you as well, right? Someone who... Very accomplished, very obviously very smart, hardworking, but really loved the arts and, and had the arts released in you a little bit. Was that part was that part of writing ever the way you did was that hey, I, I know what it's like to have a, a a passion suppressed? Yeah, definitely. I think I I say like ever got to decide earlier than me or choose <laughs> earlier than me. So, you know, her internal journey of like how does she honor her family? while pursuing her passions. That was that was very much my journey. Um, but it took me, you know, many, many more years than <laughs> How would that have gone? How would that conversation have gone with your parents if you were like 21 years old and you said, you know what, I got into Harvard, I'm studying law, but I think I want to be an author. Would that, would that not have gone well at that time? Yeah, well, I didn't actually admit to my parents that I was writing until I had a book deal. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, I was like, you know, they're going to find out. So I better just tell them. Yeah. And, and you weren't 21. So uh, you can you yeah. have a little more uh, leverage. Yeah. All right. So uh, do you have any tips for people who want to make that leap? You know, I left my corporate job about, I guess it's been about two and a half years now, maybe three years ago. Um, I left pretty much when we were ready to start filming. And I already had, you know, one novel out, the second novel was coming. I think I had a third book deal. Um, it took me that long to leave my corporate job. Mm. And I would say that I, I don't actually write a lot more per day. I think that a creative author like caps out at about three hours a day anyways. And I was baby, I was basically able to squeeze that in even when I had a corporate job. Mm. Um, wasn't easy, but I think because I kind of had this jealous mistress of the of the other job, I was very committed <laughs> to making those words appear on the page. Mm -hmm. So I think it's actually very, very possible to pursue both, but I did have to make choices along the way to have yeah. a smaller legal career. And those were hard choices because I'd always kind of been on sure. a fast track, you know, on this treadmill um, and taking a step back from that was actually really good for me personally, but, and gave me the space to do the writing. Okay. Yeah. So the, there's no total roadmap, right? You could be like Ever Wong and break the news to her parents when you're 22, or you can, you know, we've interviewed authors who debuted in their fifties. You know, there's no, there's no roadmap. There's any, any number of ways to do it. That's right. So, uh, so yeah, Lebo Taipei in 2020 reaches New York times top 10 and was Cosmopolitan's number one audiobook that year and was a Barnes and Noble's recommended young adult book. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about the film in a second, but, uh, do you want to give us a quick summary, uh, of at least the first book? Yeah. So Love Boat Taipei follows an 18 year old girl, Ever Wong from Ohio to Taipei, um, to learn language and culture. Her parents send her kicking and screaming. She does not want to leave. <laughs> She's not interested in her culture. Um, and when she goes, she sets about to break all the rules that her parents have laid on her, her whole life, um, because what she finds actually is the summer fee for all where there is no parental supervision for the first time and it's actually based on a real program as as you know as, as we're going to talk about with uh, emily and cliff um and uh you know the kids are going wild in the best of ways they're sneaking out clubbing they're drinking snake bud sake and they're visiting the nightlife um but also in their own way making the culture and heritage their own um so she does have a journey of identity as well as this journey i mentioned of you know understanding how she can honor her family while still being true to herself. Mm -hmm. And then there's part two and three we'll talk about in a minute. Let me give a, a minor spoiler alert. I don't think we're going to give away too much of the plot, but anyone out there who hasn't watched the film or hasn't read the books, we may talk a little bit about the plot. I'm not trying to ruin anything out there. So if you want to get away from your device and read the book or watch the film first, you're welcome to do that. Uh, we normally play a little music to kind of warn people to get away from their devices. Uh, the soundtrack for the film is amazing. There's so many great songs in there. Do you have a recommendation for a song that we can play so people can get away from the podcast for a minute before they get spoiled? Ooh, great question. Well, you know, um, Roger Swen is our composer 
and he did a fabulous job. So, um, no, I love them all. I like, I think, yeah, I, I think it's hard for me to decide, but you can actually find them on Instagram and TikTok. They're actually chosen. There are songs now that you can attach to your, your posts, which I think is amazing. So, uh, audience, you have been warned. So, if you're still here, that means that you want to hear us talk about these books and the film. All right, so let's go ahead. Oh, uh, so I have to ask the obligatory question Is any part of these Love Boat books autobiographical? I get this question all the time. <laughs> I, know, I know. And I see that internal journeys are very much mine. The external journeys are composite of like different ideas, um, different stories that I've collected over the years. My husband, I got a bunch of stories from him. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it's fictionalized too. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that's that's usually the answer. It can't be 100% foreign to you, but it also can't be 100% in your yeah. life either. So. I took glamour shots, but not naked ones. I did see someone else's naked glamour shot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to get into some, some stories. So so parents out there, if you want to cover your kids, no, I'm just kidding. No, we'll keep it clean. We'll keep it clean. Emily, we'll keep it clean, right? PG-13. <laughs> PG-13, PG-13. Uh, okay, so let's talk about Love Boat. That's why Cliff and Emily are here. Emily went in 98. She was like three years old, right? <laughs> and Cliff went in 96. Cliff and Abigail, you went the same uh, year. The same Actually, summer. No, I went in 95. Oh, so darn. maybe that okay. I was like, "Do I know you?" <laughs> I, I, yeah, darn, that would have been yeah, cool. That, that would have been, been cool. cool. But yeah. the '90s, yeah. If you're if you're around our age, and you're Asian American, you probably know someone who went on a love boat. Absolutely. Absolutely, it was like such a such a secret. You go to parties and you'd meet them. Like, oh, yeah. you went on a love boat too, and it's your secret. Like, yeah. And, and here's the, the here's the big secret. It's actually not a boat. That's right. Not a <laughs> How, boat. Raise your hand if you actually thought it was a boat the first time you heard about it. No, only me? I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know it was a love boat. I was I was like ever. I showed up and they're like, oh, it's a love boat. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> uh, love boat. Yeah. Okay, so we are talking about the Overseas Compatriot Youth Taiwan Study Tour, uh, basically sponsored by the Taiwanese government. And it was a chance to give overseas... They, you know, they kind of aimed at Taiwanese kids, but other Chinese kids as well. And they wanted to give them a taste of Chinese culture. And contrary to its name, it's not a giant boat, but it is a youth center, kind of like a dorm. Yeah, okay. very much. It's like a, a little campus. Okay, a little campus. Like the one that was in the film, is it like that at all or much bigger than that? So we filmed on uh, Hue, which is why the name is changed in in the film, um, because it's just much more cinematic and gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. And so it started in 1967. It started with five kids. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't in, know In 1967. Five. But then it peaked in 1989. It peaked at 1,200 kids, over 1,000 kids. Mm. Do you remember how big it was when you guys went? It was 1,000 my year. 500 on one campus, 500 on the other. Yeah, I feel like it was that about that. That. Yeah, same here. Yeah. So that's like a small high school. Like, how big is yeah. Solon High School? <laughs> so, uh, Solon High School is twelve hundred kids. So okay, exactly. so yeah. yeah. So it's a lot. It's a lot of kids, and and they're mostly eighteen to twenty four, something yeah. like that. Yeah, and all Asian diaspora kids, which is like that was the mind blowing part of it. Yeah, and so uh, Cliff and Emily grew up in kind of areas that were a little more. There's more Chinese population, but you grew up in a town with how many other Chinese kids were there in your high school? There was another girl in my class who was half Korean, and okay. then, um, a couple of Indian Americans, and then there was a kid two grades above me who was um, Chinese American. Okay, so <laughs> so you can count them on one hand. <laughs> Pretty much. All right, so that was a that was a big culture shock. So uh, Cliff, do you remember how you heard it? Did your parents sign you up, or did you hear about it? Oh, my 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 dad definitely signed me up. Uh, my brother had heard. My younger brother heard about it. His his friend went the year before. He's two years younger, and you know, there's a pretty large age range and my dad's like you're going you're going to go hang out with a bunch of chinese people over there and it sounded terrible i didn't know what to think i'm like i, I gotta do my own thing this summer i'm down in la i'm having a great time but he's like no you're going to taipei okay. I didn't, and i didn't even get to hang out in taipei i wasn't 
I was at, I guess they called it Hayontashi. I was the ocean campus. Oh, you were, uh, you were exiled. Yeah. I was exiled. <laughs> yes. I, I tried to include that ocean campus in my book initially, but it was so boring that I had to cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we man. enjoyed a lot of nature. It was a lot of nature. <laughs> and it took a while to get to Taipei. Oh, sneaking man. out was a, another thing over there. Yeah, at least you could sneak out. Okay. It's not where to, and nowhere to go, but you can still see. I guess you can see TV. You're risking your life every time. The dogs would chase you. Oh, right. Stray dogs would chase oh, you. Yeah. All right. And so, Emily, you're at the main campus, or are you in the cuts as well? So uh, things change between Cliff's year and my year, and, and Cliff and I talk about this all the time. So when I went, um, I think the program is six weeks, so we do three weeks in Taipei, and then we switch over, and then we do three weeks in Ocean. So I had, I, I was able to experience both. But contrary wow. to uh, Cliff's experience, um, this was a program that I heard about through friends, and I had friends had gone the previous year. So I, I was like, "Where's the application? Sign me up!" You know, how do I get get in this? And um, I think it was a lottery system. I think at least out of the 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 New York application process because there are so many people that are interested in joining that I think it's a lottery. So you kind of oh, have to wait uh, for an acceptance letter. So huh, I wanted right. to go. Yeah. 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 Do you think do you think that the parents don't know that it's a wild free for all? Or do you think they they kind of know, but they're just kind of thinking, oh my kid's responsible. He won't get in trouble. <laughs> I don't I don't think that they I don't think my parents I don't even think my parents even know that it's a wild free-for-all now. To this day. <laughs> yeah, no. It, <laughs> yeah, my parents had no idea. My my mom was asked at my my very second book event, and um, she said she didn't know until she read my book. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. My my dad, um, he called. I don't know if he knew. Maybe he had some, he suspected something. But he called me one day, and I don't know how he got to my dorm room. He says, hey, Cliff, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm studying some Mandarin, Dad. He sent me here. He's like, I didn't send you there to study. Why don't you go out and mingle? And I think there was some kind of uh, okay. there was some hinting under that tone. So I think he knew. Okay. Okay. And so what, what does the average day look like? You're taking, you're taking Mandarin classes, cooking classes. What would an average day in the middle of summer with a 1,000 young people look like? No, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's a bit pretty much how I described it. Like you take language classes and then you have an extracurricular or two. I think there were two electives. Um, I remember doing stuff with Tai Chi and I think I did Chinese yo-yo. Um, but I, when I was writing the story, I kind of collected ideas of other cool um, extracurriculars. And so my favorite was the bow stick fighting one that my friend Carrie Lai did. Carrie Lai was a, was that um, in venture capital, he's still a venture capitalist um, and He's like, yeah, you know, it was his favorite. And I was like, yes, that's it. And so that's actually what Rick Wu does. And that's, there's like this, like a bow staff fighting scene between him and Ever in the books, which um, mm -hmm. is so much fun, right? <laughs> but yeah, the rest of the time is yours. Uh, it really is very lightweight as far as classes went. Uh-huh. Emily, what did, what did you take? You take some cooking, fan dancing? No, I think it was like maybe <laughs> ri ribbon dancing. Uh-huh. But, but it was, but I remember, um, like, I feel like there were, it was like a real camp. So from what I recollected, there was like a daily schedule almost. They they had something going on like every day. They had people uh -huh. come in and do these cultural shows, these acrobats, you know, like Cirque du Soleil, but Taiwanese style, you know, on the stage. And it's like, I hope that no one dies, like holy smokes. <laughs> or they would have... Um, like an outing, like we're going to go to the, I think in the ocean, it was like, we're going to go to the beach yeah. for the day. And that was really brutal because it was really, really hot and we're going to the beach, but it was yeah, kind of like yeah. whatever they had plans. But I remember the language classes. I think they were very early in the morning <laughs> and then we were coming home very, very late at night. So it, it was just brutal to, to wake up and be conscious for those language classes. Yeah. Do you get in trouble if you don't go? I, you know, I can't even remember. I, I would think so, or reprimanded at the at the minimum. <laughs> like I think they expect participation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it varied year to year. Um, I I included a demerit system in the books um, because that's something that I'd gotten during my interviews of Labot Alam. I don't remember a demerit system in place when I was actually there. Hmm, hmm. Oh, there was a demerit system. We, my roommates uh, and I would. Oh, I was kind of a good boy, but my roommates would like 
compete for demerits. Oh, my, wow. One of my roommates had nine demerits. I think he was, I think he got kicked out, but uh, um, oh, wow. he, he had, he had family. He was waiting. He couldn't wait to, to, to hang out with his family. But uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> um, I just remember the days like, yeah, language class in the, in the, you know, first thing. Well, first you wake up and you have breakfast. You have this, yes. and like, um, rice porridge really really watery chook i guess the cantonese people don't aren't used to this i'm cantonese and then um and then yeah you go to your language class and then i did stick fighting that was my favorite because cool. the, the the instructor was the all knockout champion of if Tai taiwan two years oh, running amazing. so oh, he, would, yeah. he would he would sometimes challenge us and actually he's like who took martial arts and i'm like i i, I didn't raise my hand be like come on and so i rose my i only took it for like one summer he's like come on out here let's fight he's like hit me I'm, like, I'm not gonna hit you if i hit you you're gonna you're gonna knock me out but anyway i, I also took the yo-yo the, the chinese yo-yo class was, uh-huh. you could fling that thing like all the way up in the air it was fun nice, so, nice. yeah so so like three or four hours of classes but the real experience happened after dinner or what, what was it so do you have to sneak out or was it an open secret that you were going to get out <laughs> i think abigail should go first again <laughs> yeah i feel like every year people thought they were they were remaking the you know the wheel like i well they didn't know they were remaking the wheel but i was just somehow did it like i would hear like alumni talking about how they were the year that broke the love boat right yeah. everyone wants to like outdo another for how bad they were um, or how rebellious they were but i don't know maybe there's something about the environment that was just conducive to that <laughs> so you hit well except for cliff who was out in the jungle you guys hit the town you guys you're in downtown taipei hitting clubs restaurants bars yeah it's such a great city yeah. So, so basically the, the, my experience, if it's similar to yours, Abigail, um, we, it, I think it was like something, it was similar to your movie, like 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, it's like lights out. And it's, it's kind of like a room where I remember maybe five or six other girls, you know, bunk bed style. And it's really cool. You're meeting people from, could be all over the world, mostly the US, you know, and you're just kind of getting to know everyone. And the routine is that you're going to wear your clubbing clothes. I don't even know if I brought clubbing clothes from New York or I didn't, cause I don't even know if I even knew that this was the plan, but somehow yeah. I had clubbing clothes and you wear the clubbing clothes and then they come check your room at 10 o'clock. I think you had this part in the movie. I remember. And, and then you just have the cup, you know, you just pretend you're going to yes. go to sleep. <laughs> and yes. It's almost like a whole charade. And the counselor knows, right, about the charade. Sure, so you're sure. like, oh, you know, good night, 10 yeah. o'clock. Look, we're all in bed. And counselor leaves, like, check the box. And then they, it's they, like. They, Emily, they flip the sheets, too. If you're hiding under your bed, they'll flip the sheets. <laughs> they, they want to see what you're wearing. <laughs> well, no, they want to see that you're actually there and not some mannequin or something. Oh, my God. And oh. then. And it's so fun. It's so funny, Abigail, because I remember watching your movie and um, and it brought back memories like the yellow, like name tags on the counselors. I feel uh-huh. I feel like that was authentic. Right. <laughs> and and it was then it was like, hey, guys, let's it's time to go. So, of course, Curtis, this is optional. But somehow everyone went. Well, maybe <laughs> many people went, but it was very similar to the movie. Like then it was like you're, you're running out. Um. I don't remember the counselors chasing us, like how the movie was, but you're basically like leaving and jumping over a fence. I mean, it's all kind of wild. <laughs> and and everyone is just like meeting everyone for the first time. You're jumping over a fence and then we're like getting a taxi. Yes. I don't even think we had cell phones back then. So don't ask no. me how we <laughs> called each other or anything. And then we would go to to clubbing. So Cliff and I talk about this all the time. Like, what are the names? Like, Too Kinky was like a, a club name. I mean, Kiss Too Kinky. Yeah, yeah it was really crazy. And then, <laughs> and then it no, but it it was beyond that. So after the clubbing, then it's like let's go eat. Then we Indian beer run. gardens. Yeah, and we would karaoke we dim sum. Then then karaoke is next after the eating and. And then somehow we're able to call a cab back. And this was kind of like, like, I don't know if it was every night, but it felt like it was every night thinking back. <laughs> yeah, I think it might have been every night for some people. <laughs> uh-huh. 
for six weeks. Wow, this is yeah. in some We definitely endurance. try to capture that with like the calves are there waiting. And yeah. it's like they've yeah. done this year after year. The kids seek out every year and they need calves. The calves so know. They're there. I think the calves know, right? They say like, money, like, yeah. 10 30, we're gonna Yeah. yeah. And I feel this because in the third novel. I mean the fun thing about writing like multiple novels is that I could tell more of the love boat stories and also like in the third novel, since it's Ever's younger sister who goes on Love Boat, she's able to like draw from her own knowledge of like what happened back then. And actually two of her friends, of Pearl's friends on the, in the third novel are the children of alumni. So they have uh-huh. all the folklore. They know everything that's going on <laughs> and they're like, they're totally prepared to go yeah. for it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we got to move on. We could do this. Uh, we could do a session after the recording. <laughs> we can we can talk a little more love. I, but I would we'll, say I think Curtis, there was another side though, and, and then some folks yeah. um, in Ocean Campus uh, were not could not go clubbing all the time. So we would hike around and go in and enjoy nature and all that kind of stuff by the ocean. Yeah. So there was also that that part of it too. And well, sometimes there'll be a hurricane catch you or some typhoon catch yeah. you while you're running by the ocean. So oh man. But actually, Cliff, we got to we have to mention one little juicy tidbit that your dad knew what he was doing because he sent you to Love Boat and you came home with a future wife. Well, I guess I'm not the only one on this call, but actually, no, <laughs> my wife, Helen, and I were, were really good friends, actually, following Love Boat. So we didn't um, I, I, I really hooked up with her. I guess we became close on a flight back home. My uh, uh, my roommate tipped me off and said, hey, um. Helen's sitting next to you on the flight back home. Why don't I trade seats with her? And I said, I, I was like, are you, I was taken aback. I'm like, are you crazy? She's super cute. I think I will hang out with her and we'll listen to my CDs and my big headset. And <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll just uh, get to know each other. And as she ran into her arms of her boyfriend when she came back, I had a girlfriend. <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? But, but you uh-huh. know, many years later, we, it happened. So it happens. All right. Abigail, similar story? No, oh, I love that story. Um, no, so my husband was a different summer, but okay. I do believe that it connected us because they, it changed us in similar ways. Um, I, you know, I, I often say for alumni, they're amazing. I love meeting Love Boat alum because they are healed in terms of their cultural identity in a way that not everyone gets to do. Um, I've met grownups that are still struggling, like, who am I? Like, I don't want to hang out with too many Asians because they might notice I'm Asian kind of thing. It's like, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't, I was like that as a high schooler and I'm, I'm no longer that way. And I think that made us stronger people. Um, you know, so I think like that was one of the things that just, I, my husband and I are, are similar in that respect. And then, you know, just, Thinking and, and, and valuing that overseas experience, valuing that global perspective um, is also really, really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, not not the love boat, but I went to Asia for the first time. I went to Hong Kong and Macau when I was 21. And I, you know, I'm I'm a several generations here in America. So I, I felt like I was very Americanized. And that trip just changed me. It totally changed the way I see the world, the way I see myself and others. Yeah. So yeah, parents out there, send your kids overseas, send your kids uh, to an international experience. I think it's uh, definitely something. You oh, it's do. so invaluable. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, talking about the film. You're also, you're not just a lawyer. You're not just in tech. You're not just an author. You're an executive producer. You produced the film in 2023. It's called Love in Taipei, uh, available on multiple streaming platforms. I saw it on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, such a fun watch. I have to say, Abigail, I... I you know, I think we all kind of grew up in the 90s, 80s and 90s. And watching this film, I had a smile on my face the entire time. Just oh. seeing these, you know, just seeing these heart. beautiful, uh, funny, talented young people. Like, what do you say? Like 35 characters, Asian American characters on the screen. I mean, can you imagine? Like, Cliff and I know have a friend who's an actor. And, and actually, I was a theater major, but... When you when we came out in the '90s trying to find roles, they're just it was busboys and nothing. That was, was the hope. Nothing. That was the hope to see them all on the screen and have them be discovered into other non-ethnic specific roles because that's that's who we are as a community. We play all kinds of roles, but we weren't seeing that on the screen Absolutely. exactly as you said. Yeah, no, so amazing. And I watched it with my daughters, and just to just to see them, see someone that looked like them on the screen. Uh, multiple people that look like them, and you had you had a variety. You had some nerds, you had athletes, you had artists, you had musicians. It was just it showed the diaspora in the light of that we're not a monolith. And I, I really, really appreciate it. it. Just warmed my heart to see that. 
Well, and so, so uh, I, I just hope people watch this. I, I hope you guys watch it out there. Uh, what was it like for you when you got the call that your uh, firstborn book was going to become a movie? Well, it was exciting um, for sure. I had um, actually gotten the bug earlier. Um, I had my third novel that came closer to publishing house. Um, people thought that would be made into a film. And so I had already thought about it like then, oh my God, that'd be so amazing to see my characters on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't, it didn't happen. I didn't get a book deal. That one mm-hmm. is the one that came close, couldn't get through marketing at a time before Hamilton and Crazy Rich Asians. Um, so with this one, um, it wasn't an easy road to get Love Boat um, published. Initially, I was rejected at draft 26. I had to scrap it at that point. I had to rewrite the whole thing from the ground up, huh. but I did. And at version 30, 31 is when it sold. <laughs> Um, but at that point, I was hearing from all the agents. There was a, there was a bunch of agents interested, and then we had a bidding, an auction um, with the publishers. And at that point, everybody was talking about film. Mm-hmm. And so it was always the hope going in that we could get there. But I was warned from the very beginning, like from my by my film manager, you can't celebrate until you're in the car driving to premiere because there's so many ways for a movie to die <laughs> oh, the way. Yeah. Um, so I think with every little step, I never like fully allowed myself to hope. But I also really wanted it. And I really yeah. wanted to get these 30 different characters onto the screen in a way that we'd never seen before. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you such an adorable cast. I think you have to be really pleased with the cast. Ashley Liao, who is right now in The Hunger Games. So she's having, Games. A, she's having a year. Ashley Liao, if you're listening, come on the podcast. You have an open invitation. <laughs> and uh, Ross Butler, he was in To All the Boys. P.S. I love you. Nico Haraga, Chelsea Zhang. They were... I mean, it's hard, like even reading the book now, it's hard to imagine any other people playing those characters. They just fit Absolutely. so well. Yeah, when they were when they were all cast, I'm like, this is a this is perfect. This is your Sophie, this is your this is your Xavier. I have a yeah. I have a post on my um Instagram of like each of the characters because there's, you know, Benji and David and um, Laura and all of them, right? All, Laura and Deborah yeah. and yeah. this is amazing to see all their faces and they're all their faces i think what's amazing they're all asian american or asian but their faces are all unique right right and hey on behalf of cliff and other guys out there we thank you for putting cool asian guys on the screen exactly. you know? very cool asian guys yeah. desirable <laughs> lo- you know athletes intelligent artists but also uh, emily what do you think pretty good looking guys right <laughs> very very good looking very good looking <laughs> No, we loved it. We loved it. Um, Thank so you, did, Abigail. Thank you. Yeah. But, yeah, we appreciate yeah, really. it. Really? Yeah. So did you did you make the film that you, I think you might have answered this already, but did you make the film that you had always wanted to see as a, as a kid in Ohio, like growing up in the 80s and 90s? Did you make the film that you wanted to see? Yeah. You know, I think it started with the book. I okay. loved books growing up. I love Laura Ingalls in particular. Lewis. And I, I think in some ways, like, Love Boat is like my Laura Ingalls. It's like, you know, inspired by real life. But like with Laura Ingalls, you know, as a reader, you just love books so much that you want to live in the pages. But I knew if I dropped down into Laura's world, her mother wouldn't accept me. Um, And there was always a sadness that came with that. And so I I did want to write a book where people of all backgrounds could read it and feel like, hey, if I dropped into this world, I would be accepted. I would be welcomed. Um, And it has been such a joy to hear people who feel seen. by reading these characters for the first time. Um, and yeah, and so then I think going to the screen was like the next level of that, yeah. going reaching a wider audience and then getting to, to actually see the visuals. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your next two books after your first one. So Lebo Reunion, uh, is is Justice for Xavier a thing where people saying, hey, we want to see Xavier get, get something? That's right. Absolutely. It was really, you know, fun and heartwarming to see that after the first book, there was a lot of justice for Xavier hashtags. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he had his own journey. And, you know, I mentioned that I'd scrapped version 26 of the novel. And that was because mm-hmm. it was 120,000 words with four <laughs> points of view. Five, uh-huh. if you, it was like the main characters, plus a little bit from Rick's girlfriend, Jenna. Um, and it was too much story for one novel. And a big part of that that ended up cutting was actually Xavier's story. Um, Mm. And I always thought he had such an interesting backstory um, with like in this high performing culture with so many like boy wonders abounding, he could barely read because of a learning difference that was never acknowledged by his Mm -hmm. father who would just wish it would go away. And I really wanted to explore that, that neurodiverse story. And I was so glad when I, you know, had that opportunity with the second book. 
Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what it is. It's Sophie Ha, who actually has undiagnosed ADHD, which is never mentioned in the books. Um, but mm. that's often the case with minority girls. They do go undiagnosed. Um, so she and Xavier end up teaming up to take control of their own lives. And they find themselves back in Taipei with the whole gang on another adventure. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to November 2023 with the release of Love Boat Forever. A few new characters, right? We get Pearl, who is Ever's younger sister, like what, six, seven years younger? Uh, So she is seven years younger, six years later. Okay, yeah. So she's, and she is uh, a musician who never had any desire to go to Love Boat, but through some circumstances, she ends up going to Love Boat and she bumps into some old familiar faces. We bump into Rick overseas. We bump into Sophie overseas and Mark and we see some familiar folks, but kind of a new adventure, a new a new character. And she is very musical. And so there's a lot of music in this. Do you have a music background at all? I do. You know, it kind of comes part and parcel with the dancing too. So each, each book has its own form of art. The first one is the dancing. The second one is filmmaking and fashion, uh-huh. and the third one is music. And it was, I actually was living in Vienna, Austria for the past year and able to oh. do research while I was there into Pearl's classical music world. Um, uh-huh. My younger child wanted to study music, and I got to be the accompanying parent. It was perfect timing on so many levels. Um, but yeah, I, I do love it. It was so fun to explore kind of that cultural journey through the lens of music. And Pearl's journey goes from like the classical piano to learning, taking a class on Chinese instruments and then falling in love with a Chinese lute called the pipa. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and some some new love interests in this one as well. So uh, lots going on in the third book. Was was your main motivation, or, or what was your main motivation for writing this third one? Well, it was a great, it was an opportunity that I hadn't expect. Um, I had written the second book. We were already writing the script for the film. And my editor found like kind of flagged this word at the very end of the second book by Sophie. She said, Love Boat Forever. And all the kids were chiming in Love Boat Forever. And she goes, oh, that's the title of your third novel. <laughs> so there it was. I had the opportunity to pitch different ideas to my editor. Um, so I actually had an idea following two of the side characters from the second book, Emma and um, Victor, on like a journey that was called Love Boat Free. But then this other this other idea of like six years later, you know, Pearl, Ever's younger sister goes on Love Boat and we get to see what happens to the whole gang um, was like, was really compelling to all of us. So mm-hmm. I I did, I did love that opportunity to just kind of grow with our characters. You can see, like you said, like Rick is overseas um, working at a startup in Taipei. Sophie is building out her fashion business there. Xavier is back home with his family, like working in, um, in filmmaking actually. And, and then Mark is the new dragon of the program. So I love being able to bring all these characters back. And then of course, Ever and Rick are trying to figure out like, how can we have a life together if you're in Taipei and I'm in New York City working for the New York Ballet, um, which are very real problems. Yeah. yeah. Of course, Pearl has very strong opinions about all this. So I think it's really fun to explore their journeys, but through her younger eyes. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is where you did kind of expose a little bit where you have Mark being the new dragon, but he knows. <laughs> he knows everything. Yes. And that was fun. I think that was the fun part of like the third book, um, which can be read alone. So, you know, if folks haven't read yeah. the first two, they can read book three alone. Sure. But just being able to like take everything to another level because they know about the sneaking out. Mark knows how to stop them. He's got like all his people in place. And he's, he's one got step ahead. Yeah. Plans, after contingency <laughs> plans. Um, yeah. But then you also have to take everything, you know, Pearl has to have like an even bigger experience. So there's a party in the dark. There's an encounter with a mysterious stranger who's masked and she doesn't know who he is and she mm-hmm. needs to find him. So I think all that, I had I had so much fun um, just exploring and developing those that side of the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so these take place basically in modern day. Did, did you think about writing it in the 90s when you first started the trilogy? Yeah, so I actually did write it in the 90s when I first started. Um, but that was actually by choice um, because... At the time, editors weren't that big on seeing a lot of technology in mm. young adult stories. Like they weren't into the whole texting thing. And that felt like that would have to be a part of it. But that was the main thing that had to change when I aged it back to the present. Um, mm. So, of course, everyone had phones. Um, right. So, we thought about like maybe having a no phone policy um, to just get, get rid of those. And, you know, I think for forever, um, having her just not even want to be in touch with her parents was an easy way to get rid of her phone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. Yeah. Cause, cause you know, social media played a big part in, in your newer books and, and yeah. And, yeah. And I, I had actually a reader come up to me in Michigan who said that 
they were really struck by how modern Pearl's story felt. Mm -hmm. Even though it was only set six years later, they could see the progression already. And I, I love that. So is this the last we're going to see the gang or, you know, it's always an option to do more if you want? Yeah, I have so many ideas. Um, my The exercise for me is actually to figure out like which ones to pursue. And, you know, when I got bitten by the film bug, I was like, I really want to film. And so I ended up working on so many other projects, like, you know, trying to like, find, like basically that was, that was the advice I was giving you, plant lots of seeds. You never know which ones are going to grow when. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. actually have 12 different projects that I'm working on. Um, <laughs> and I feel like with Love Boat, three books, a movie, like I, I feel like I got to tell like the full story of um, Ever Rick, Sophie and Xavier, especially. Yeah. Um, so I'm, you know, I feel I feel happy with where we're mm -hmm. leaving things. Um, yeah. And I'm also really excited to pursue these other projects. So I think, you know, you never know. You can never say never. But I think right now it feels like this is a good um, a good segue into other things. All right. All right. Still, still overachieving that, but 12 projects. <laughs> Come on, man. Leave some achievement well, for the rest of I, us. Yeah. So. The problem with that is like, I don't actually want any of them to die. So I like, I'm, I do actually want all of them to go forward. <laughs> uh, that brings us actually to August, 2024. There might be a new book coming. There Kisses, Codes and Conspiracies. <laughs> yes. And it's set right here in Silicon Valley. Oh where yeah. We um, so I, as I mentioned, I'll be at the at book passage in the ferry building on December 10th. And they're, that they actually have a cameo in the story, as does Barnes and Noble. There's like a helicopter taking off from the Barnes and Noble in Union Square in San Francisco. So uh -huh. I had so much fun, like coming closer to home. It's not Taipei, but it's San Francisco, and nice. and the kids get to go on this journey. Um, it's a world without adults as well, because yeah. the parents are off in Hawaii on vacation. Um, uh -huh. But uh, yeah, heightened stakes, new set of characters, and uh, and a heist. All right. Love heist movies and books. All right. So everyone out there, you can get a copy of any of Abigail's books. You know where you get books, but we like to recommend local independent bookstores. Abigail, you have a favorite down the peninsula? Uh, so Books Inc. Um, mm -hmm. Kepler's has done all my launches. Kepler's, yeah. um, Linden Tree. I've done a number of events. There. They're wonderful. And um, and then, of course, Barnes & Noble. I'm so grateful that they picked the book as their young adult book club pick back in February of 2020 before pandemic. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Hey, fun fact. Uh, Elaine Petroselli, the founder of Book Passage, was a patient of my dad's. <laughs> oh, no way. That's awesome. Yeah, my dad's, my dad's a dentist. So we're old, longtime friends. So, um, Hey, you have survived our difficult questions. It is time for our lightning round. Emily Cliff, you want to play the lightning round too? Sure. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, let's see. We'll go, we'll go Abigail. We'll go alphabetical. Abigail, Cliff, and then Emily here. Uh, favorite street food in Taipei? Dumplings. Dumplings. Cliff? Uh, tofu fa. Tofu fa. Uh, stinky tofu. Stinky tofu. Oh, Someone had to go there, Emily. <laughs> I like the giant chicken uh, cutlet. You know, the, the chicken. Oh, uh, yeah, those are great. The <laughs> chicken steak, they call it. It's like over bigger than your face. Yeah. All right, uh, so I don't know if Cliff or Emily can answer this, but uh, Abigail, what's your favorite cure for writer's block? Oh, walking around, just seeing the world, seeing museums, seeing sites, seeing architecture. Mm, all right. So side note, since you're kind of an AI expert as well, do, do you uh, ever dabble in AI when you're writing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I've been uh, beta testing chat for like years. Um, so it's actually wow. funny for me to see like this big explosion. Um, I wrote a novel about AI generation in 2015 that nobody understood. They're like, I don't understand what this is about. And so now I can actually pull it out. Yeah. Like, hey guys, here's the story. <laughs> I mean, no, Chad, no, it's a been... great, great cure, help help for the writer's block, or for me at least. No, I'm, I, I I'm not writing anything great. It gives you the average. It gives you like yeah. the average. This is what the average writer would write. Um, yeah. So not particularly creative. Um, for me, I think it's more structure than anything else. Like, so if I'm law, I, I do occasionally use it. Like I drop a paragraph of mine in there. It generates the next paragraph. Can't use any of it except it mentions the dad's hair color. And I'm like, oh, actually, you know, that actually uh, makes me think of something. So it's kind of like a sounding board. Yeah. Um, like this is what the average writer would think or would write at that point. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm a high school teacher, so uh, we're we're catching up slowly. We're way yeah. behind. But yeah, we got to catch up to the students. They're way ahead of us. <laughs> All right, next question. Uh, for all three of you, do you have a favorite rom-com book or movie? It doesn't have to be Asian, but any rom-com book or movie that you can watch or read over and over? Abigail. Bridgerton, absolutely. Over and over. I've seen the episodes so many times. We have a whole stack of Julia Quinn's books. Love it, love it. 
it. Cliff, you got a rom-coms? Uh, Love Actually, and especially yeah. this time of year. This time of mm-hmm. year. Yeah, great yeah. one. Uh, Emily? 51st States with Adam uh, Sandler. I love that. Makes yeah. me cry every time. Great. Yeah. 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 Yes. Uh, I love uh, half of it. Alice Wu's half of it with the amazing Leah Lewis in it. Um, so yeah. yeah, no, there's so many, there's so many good rom coms out there. You know what's interesting is it seems like rom coms were kind of dead, and then Crazy Rich Asians, and then to all the boys, it was kind of like the Asian resurgent brought the rom com <laughs> back a little bit, don't you think? Possibly. No? <laughs> I'm still I'm waiting. I don't know if it's back yet. Is it? I guess sometimes. Rom coms are big. Yeah, rom coms yeah. are definitely. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. You're here. Uh, all right. So if uh, the 21 year old Abigail, Cliff, or Emily were stuck in a room for 24 hours during a Category Five typhoon, which of Abigail's characters would you like to be stuck in the room with? Mm. That's a hard one. I know. Um, you love them all. <laughs> During a typhoon, right? Yeah, so 24 hours. 24 hours. That is a really hard one. I do love them all. I think maybe Xavier, because I would, he was actually the hardest for me to write um, since he's one of my viewpoint characters, right? My viewpoint characters are ever Sophie, Xavier, and Pearl. He's the only guy, um, and he's neurodiverse in a different way than I'm neurodiverse. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there was a lot more that I want to understand about him as a character. Okay, okay. Cliff, what do you think? I, I like Ember. I mean, there's so much soul searching going on, and I think you, uh, you just you can you can have a, a great uh, stuck in a hotel room, uh, you know, Category Five hurricane covered. Okay, all right. Emily, what do you think? I, I was going to say Xavier. I thought he was the most interesting. I mean, Eva was ex- interesting too, but I, I really like I like them both. All right, I'm gonna go book three. I'm gonna go Kai. I think uh, Ooh, he, nice. uh, you know, he'll he'll have some beats going on. We can do a little beatboxing. We can <laughs> we can produce some music together. I think that'd be fun. I think he'd he would keep you entertained for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we like to end each show by elevating a member of our community by asking our guests to choose an infatuation. An infatuation is anyone in the Asian community that you admire that or that has inspired you, living or deceased. So Abigail Hing Wen, who is your infatuation? Oh, I would I have so many, but I would say um my my good friend Saba Tahir. She is an author also. He she actually won the National Book Award for Young mm. People's Literature last year. She won like every award then for, <laughs> for All My Rage. And mm. she was one of the people who picked me up off my feet at draft twenty-six of Love Boat Getting Rejected and you know, put me back on my feet and said, like, your stuff is good. Keep going. Um, give me wonderful advice. And I would not be here today without her. Great. Yeah. You need you need that friend. You need the draft 26 friend. You need yeah. someone. He's still sticking by you. Yeah. He's willing to tell you, you know, don't give up. You're not you're not trash. You're actually good. You know, you need that. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. It's not an easy path. And you need those people who will help you to keep going. Absolutely. All right, great pick. And so I think that does it for our Love Boat Taipei episode. Uh, special thanks to our guest, Abigail. Uh, best of luck to you. Uh, maybe we'll see you in San Francisco on the 10th. Please drop by. I'm just going to be there sitting there signing books at 11 a.m. So come on by. All right, at the Ferry Building in San Francisco. So you can go get a copy of the Love Boat Trilogy. You can watch the film. We can see Abigail in person. I think this comes out after all your other tour stops. So after San Francisco, do you have other tour stops, or is that kind of the last one? I do have events in 2024 that are starting to line up. And then for those who are outside my tour stops, um, I I am offering a book club um, drop-in, the virtual book club drop-in. So we're going to choose a number um, you can find the link on my on my website, abigailhingwen.com, on the events page um, or on my social media on Instagram. All right. Yeah. So I'll put all of Abigail's details in the show notes so that you don't have to write this down furiously. You can find it in the show notes. Uh, as I mentioned, you can write to us at infatuationpodcast at gmail.com and, and give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook at infatuationpodcast. And like I just said, all these details will be in the show notes. So thank you all for listening out there. Until you hear us again, on behalf of Abigail, Cliff, Emily, and myself, we hope that you're all happy, healthy, and safe out there. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Curtis. Sure. <laughs>